You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Well, please do turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes. It's in the Old Testament and... uh, on my Bible, it's on page 667, but that's only my truth. You may have your own truth to follow. Um, I'm preaching again on the morning of the 24th. And uh, these two mornings, and uh, any other mornings that I might be preaching, um, as, as God directs, um, I, I want us to spend a bit of time in Ecclesiastes. And uh, so this morning, we're going, to look, we're going to read the first 11 verses of Ecclesiastes. And um, we're not going to do a verse-by-verse exposition of these 11 verses, um, but what we're going to do is basically open up what Ecclesiastes is about and what wisdom literature is about um, in the Bible, both Old and New Testament. So let's read together Ecclesiastes chapter 1 from verse 1 to verse 11. The words of the teacher, or Koheleth, as he is often called, preacher, teacher, leader of the assembly. The words of the teacher, son of David, king of Jerusalem. So it does look very like Solomon. And normally Ecclesiastes is attributed to Solomon. And uh, people have uh, furthered their academic careers by doubting that and writing against it. But... Uh, There's no particularly strong reason in the text why you wouldn't take it to be um, the words of Solomon, um, particularly when verse 1 begins the way it does. The words of the teacher, son of David, king of Jerusalem, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless, which is a cheerful way to start 2016, isn't it? Um, Look on the bright side. you may be more familiar with that verse reading vanity or emptiness or pointlessness. What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again, what has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Or as we might say, what goes around comes around. It's a really, really cheerful start to 2016, isn't it? He's obviously full of Januariness. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? He was here already, long ago. He was here before our time. There is no remembrance of men of old, and even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us to uh, discern what your word is 
saying to us, help us to hear it, and not only to hear it, but to feel it and to take it in and to live it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's step back from these first 11 verses for a moment or two, and uh, we'll sort of open up Ecclesiastes and, and what wisdom literature is about. Um, and uh, I hope that this lays foundations for future uh, morning sermons that I'll preach from the book, but also for your own reading of Ecclesiastes, which, let's face it, is an odd book in the Bible. Um, one uh, speaker that uh, I was listening to in student days um, when uh, John Ferguson and I would sit in Aberdeen University in the uh, lecture theatre in New Kings and listen to on Friday nights to CU speakers, Paul Rate, uh, some of you may know that name, Paul Rate was speaking. We asked him to speak on Ecclesiastes one evening, and he opened up by saying that if the Psalms are like bread for us to nourish us each day, then Ecclesiastes is like a bowl full of prunes, um, <laughs> which, which will probably stick in your minds in the same way it's kind of stuck, obviously, in mine. Um, it's a terrifying thought, but there we are. Um, in, in the, you don't want to eat it every day, but when you do, boy, it does you good. There is no, so I'm told, there is no book quite like Ecclesiastes. And that opening sort of salvo of misery, um, it seems like it shouldn't really be in the Bible. I mean, it seems like a totally contradictory message. Because surely everything does have meaning. Uh, surely there is a point to everything. And surely all these things that he's writing about, I mean, he's been watching closely what happens in the world around him. He's, he's a natural scientist, um, or he's a natural, natural scientist, if you like. So he's, he's looked at the way that the sun rooms, and he's thinking, no, actually, it goes down there and it goes around there. It's not that we go around it. So he's way ahead of things there. He's had his little own Copernican revolution. And uh, he's begun to get meteorology, verse 6. Wind blows to the south, turns to the north, round and round it goes. So he's got some notion of circulation going on. And he has the same thing in verse 7. Uh, he's already got as far as the water cycle because um, he's got all streams flow into the sea. You remember that from, from school, boys and girls? All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. It all evaporates. Not all of it, thankfully. Anyway, some of it evaporates to the place the streams come from. There they return again. So, I mean, he's like streets ahead, just watching. So, surely he's talking about all the wonders of what, the, what God has done. And, and this is, why is he saying all this means meaninglessness? What goes around comes around. Why, why is he saying that? Well, Kaheleth, the preacher, Solomon maybe, probably, um, isn't writing Ecclesiastes because it's January and because he's just a grumpy old man. This is not Victor Meldrew writes Bible, okay? This is not just misery and cynicism. Um, this is what generally gets called part of wisdom literature. Um, and so we've got Ecclesiastes, we've got Proverbs, We've got some of the Psalms that are written in this kind of vein. We've got bits of the New Testament that are written in this vein. James is New Testament wisdom literature. And the thing that runs all the way through wisdom, Song of Songs is usually put in that category as well. The thing that runs all the way through wisdom literature is, look, this is how to live. It's practical. Now, we tend to use the word wisdom to describe being really, really clever or you know, being profound or just having really deep thoughts. 
But wisdom in the Bible is a practical category. It is a make-happen thing. Now, those of you who've, who've um, looked at, who, are, who are teachers and who have done course in education and everything, and some of you, others of you will, will be familiar with Bloom's Taxonomy of Learning Domains. And it gets transported into all sorts of other areas of life as well. And, and uh, in, in the I think, I think, uh, late 50s, 56, I think it was, that, that it kept first was developed by Bloom, um, you have the, the, the knowledge stuff that you get. So you read things and you understand it and you take in data and all that kind of thing. You have knowledge and then you have attitude. So it begins to get in there and it begins to change the way you think. And then you have skills, what you do with it, psychomotor, if you if you upon it all. And... and what Bloom was trying to say was, look, if you really want to teach people, the way we learn is we take stuff in, it affects our attitudes to what we're going to do, and then we develop new skills. Now, that is you know, 1956. Um, well, sorry, Bloom, but Kohelleth was there before you. That's exactly what Ecclesiastes and biblical wisdom is all about. It's, it's knowing stuff... And then that affecting the way you think and what you want to do and your attitude so that you actually go and do stuff. Now, in that regard, wisdom literature is no different from the rest of the Bible. It's just kind of concentrated. It's, it's a very explicit way of doing that. Now, why is it no different from the rest of the Bible? Well, what does Paul write to Timothy about Scripture? We all love the bit where in 3.16, 2 Timothy 3.16, he says that all Scripture is God-breathed, and we, we, we have a whole raft of doctrinal statements about um, Scripture being inspired and therefore infallible and therefore inerrant and therefore dead clear like perspex or perspicuity of Scripture and it's authoritative and all those things. But what does, it, what does Paul say next to Timothy? All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful. It is inherently pragmatic. As Christians, we should be pragmatists. Because Scripture is not just interesting and fascinating so that we should know it, but it's got to penetrate our hearts, the seat of our wills, so that our attitudes to life and what we're here for change. And then we do stuff that is different. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful. Or think of the Great Commission when Jesus said, as you go, make disciples, or as you go, disciple all nations, just one word in the Greek. How are you going to do that? Two things. You're going to baptize them into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, conversion, if you like. And then you're going to teach them. What does Jesus say? Teach them all I have commanded you? No. He says, teach them to obey or observe, do. All I have commanded you. See, the whole of Scripture is there so that we do stuff differently because we have a different attitude because we know God and we know what he wants and we know what he's done for us because we know the gospel. Now, wisdom literature is just a really condensed, explicit version of that kind of thinking. It's how to make the right stuff happen. Now that, of course, begs a question, doesn't it? Who's to say what the right stuff is? Who's to say what a good life is? Who's to say what you should do in a situation? 
which makes the Bible's wisdom different from all the other wisdom, genuine wisdom that is in the world that can make earphones, iPads, and pop-out maps. The Bible's wisdom is different. In fact, real wisdom is different, the Bible says, because of the context, because of what kicks it off, because of where it is in life. Because the Bible says, Psalm 111, Proverbs three times, Job once, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Ironically, nowadays, the motto of Aberdeen University, Initium Sapiente Timodei, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. So you really know what to do in any given situation because somewhere back of the actual immediate moment, in your mind, in your heart, there is a disposition to live before God because you see yourself accountable to him. You're taking him into your reckoning. You know that his will is best. You know that you just want to please him. And whatever you do is going to be shaped by that predisposition or by that foundation or by that starting point. You know the old thing about if, if, if you want to get from A to B, you know, make sure that you start at A. So the starting point where your wisdom is coming from is going to affect everything you do. So when I was asking with the children about tidying your room and washing the dishes and that kind of helping with the dishes, that sort of thing, it's that level of stuff. There is nothing that you or I will do through the rest of today that is not capable of being done differently because we live before the face of God. And we, in, in, in the biblical sense, we fear God. And as Naam Tate wrote in his uh, hymn through all the changing scenes of life, fear God, ye saints, and you shall then have nothing else to fear. And how many of the things that we do are steered by fear of what people will think of us or fear of what might go wrong? Well, if we put God first, then we're going to think differently. We'll do differently and that's what biblical wisdom is about. It is how to live a right life because you're in a covenant relationship with God. If being a Christian cannot, in your minds, make a difference to the way you speak to the checkout person at the supermarket, then there is something fundamentally wrong with your Christianity. It's maybe just Sunday religion. If, if, if you cannot conceive that being a Christian will make a difference to the way that you do your job, if you're in paid employment, do your engineering. Engineers are lovely people, warm-hearted, outgoing, wonderful. Now, that's not just me you know, coming up with a trendy message about the whole of life. That's what is shot through all the wisdom literature. In fact, it's in the vocabulary. So 
Um, when we read about wisdom in Ecclesiastes and in Proverbs and in the other parts of the wisdom literature, and when we read about it in James, who talks about the wisdom that is of the earth and the wisdom that is from above, there are, in the Hebrew, there are five principal words that get used. So I want to just spend a few minutes introducing you to the vocabulary of wisdom. So if you're taking notes, I'll spell them out for you. I should have had them up on, on, on the screen or something just to help you. Maybe at some point. The main word that's used, the one that's used most frequently, is hokmah. H-O-K-M-A-H, if you're writing it in English. Um, it's the English version of the Hebrew. H-O-K-M-A-H, hokmah. That, but it's a particular kind of wisdom. It's all nuanced. So that is the kind of skill and shrewdness that people have. Business people have lots of hokmah. But you could either be a Christian businessman with immense amounts of hokmah and therefore very successful, like, say, a, a Donald McDonald or someone, or you could be a non-Christian businessman with tons of hokmah and live and do your business very, very differently than Alan Sugar. It's skill, shrewdness. Craftsmen have an awful lot of hokmah, that sort of skill that, that, that knows you know, the hand-eye coordination thing, the ability to do stuff really, really well. Weavers, furniture makers, surgeons, we hope and pray, <laughs> are shot through with hokmah. Plumbers also, and the difference between the two is debatable sometimes, isn't it? Uh, entrepreneurs, investors... Full of hokmah, skill, shrewdness. Second one, da'ath. If you're writing it down, it goes D-A, then a little apostrophe, A-T-H, da'ath. Knowledge and discernment, that's, that's insight. Knowing lots of stuff, but knowing what to do with it. And being able to read situations, having discernment about what's going on, knowing um, how to be decisive and being decisive in a situation because of your knowledge and your understanding of it. Um, anybody in a leadership position, you will find we'll, we'll have loads of this da'ath stuff if they're leading well. I mean, we, we sometimes put people in leadership positions who aren't actually leaders, but that's another matter. So they have insight into what the, the thing is, the operation is, the the, uh, the, the com- what the company's for, what the life of the church should be, whatever. And they make the right decisions about it because they've got lots of discernment. They've shot through with da'ath. Third, binya, B-I-N, the little apostrophe, Y-A-H. B-I-N-Y-A-H. And that's how best to act, the best thing to do in the moment. So footballers, successful footballers, have loads and loads of binya because they know just how to wait a pass. They know just how to faint and move round. Um, people in some countries have, sportsmen in some countries have more binyar than sportsmen in other countries. Um, politicians should have lots of binyar. Um, town planners, architects should have lots of binyar. Um, fishermen should have lots of binya. How to act. You know, we'll, we'll cast a net on that side. Or we'll, we'll use this fly and we'll just put it that far out into the river. Just knowing exactly the right thing to do in the moment. Fourth, sekel. S-E-K-E-L. Sekel. Prudence. Which is 
carefulness. Not fear, by the way, but just carefulness, prudence and sense. Hands up if you're an accountant. That's probably an inappropriate question, isn't it? Hands down if you're an accountant, sorry. Um, Stereotypical stuff. You know the thing, I'd learned this from an accountant. How can you tell um, an extrovert accountant? It's because they look at somebody else's shoes at a party. So you got accountants have lots of prudence and lots of sense. Accountants will ask difficult searching questions about a company when they're doing an audit. Lots of prudence. Um, prudence and sense. Um, you know anybody in health and safety? Anybody in insurance? Lots and lots of sekel. And the last one, yada. Y-A-D, a little apostrophe, uh, and an A. Yada is um, what our engineers and scientists and researchers all have. It's watching how the world that's been made by God actually works. Doing all the observation stuff. Clearly, Cahelus has it, as we've read already. Just watching, picking up how stuff works, what the processes are. What, what are the forces and the vectors and, and what are the results of a force being applied to a body in a particular way? It's that sort of observational thing. They can just put together how something's working. Um, you know how some people can just look at, at something that's broken and they just look at it for a while and poke a bit here and they okay, that's the problem. It's working again. And they've got what Dilbert called the knack. Well, all those categories are things that make a difference to the way we live in the world. And what Kaheleth is saying is the real way to deploy all these is to deploy them not under the sun, but, if can just borrow Augustine's phrase for this, under the one who made the sun. Which brings us back more to the text of Ecclesiastes. In Ecclesiastes, there are two paths through life, and the first is under the sun. So in chapter 1, verse 3, what does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? And we are familiar, if you're familiar with Ecclesiastes, you'll be familiar with that phrase cropping up again and again throughout the book. Um, under the sun is a reference to uh, the sort of uh, Hebrew ancient Near Eastern view of the world, which is basically three layers. And in the top layer, you've got this sort of dome thing, and, and the sun is, is there. And above the sun, you've got where all the gods are. But the sun is the limit of what we can reach and what we can see. So the firmament up above with the sun in it is like the top stuff. Now, if you live under the sun, then... That's the highest that there is. You're living, what's the way to understand it? You're living a WYSIWYG world. You remember that computer acronym? What you see is what you get. And what you see is what you get because what you see is all there is. That's materialism in our modern world. What you see is what you get because what you see is all there is. Now, the point of of Ecclesiastes is to say, look, if you live like that, then life becomes pointless. It is under the sun that everything is meaningless. Vanity of vanities. Everything is pointless. What's it all for? What goes around comes around. What's the big difference? You're going to die. You're going to get forgotten. 
You're going to grow old. What's the point? If you live under the sun, if you live that materialistic world, then Kohelet is saying to the people, the, 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 the younger nobles of Jerusalem who are getting educated in how to live because they're going to end up leading society, he's saying, look, if, if you live a practically, functionally godless life, if you live a functionally materialistic life, then you will discover whether you try wisdom and academic stuff, whether you try pleasures, whether you try try toil and hard work and building stuff, whatever you try, you're going to reach the conclusion, so he does this through the early chapters for them, that it's all meaningless because you're living just under the sun. Because the whole point of Ecclesiastes is to say, don't live like that, live under the one who made the sun. Live before God. Don't be a functional materialist. Functionally, in the way you live, we would say, now be a Christian. Well, who's the most important person in in your life if you're a Christian? Jesus. Who's the most important person in the world, whether you're a Christian or not? Jesus. So live like that. So under the one who under the sun, um, we have God um, not in the picture. Um, the world that we move into each day is just a materialistic kind of world. Um, the world that can so easily dupe us by its splendor, and it is splendid. The world that we can make some sense of because everybody's got some kind of wisdom or another. Um, the world that is around us is brilliant and is absolutely fascinating and is delightful in many ways but if that's all you've got your life will be meaningless and what's worse you will know it so what Ecclesiastes is saying is if if, if you start living this meaningless life if you start living this materialistic WYSIWYG life just under the sun you will feel the meaninglessness. You'll be the kind of person who wakes up at three o'clock in the morning, successful by all the world's standards under the sun, thinking, is this really it? Is this all? You'll be the kind of bloke who, when he hits midlife, has a crisis. Jolly well ought to have a crisis. You'll be the kind of person who has this nagging, gnawing feeling of, well, what's the point of carrying on? Not because life is miserable on the outside, not because you're even feeling miserable on the inside with what's going on around you, but just because you can't really see any ultimate purpose. So you become, you become a Dawkins, you become a functional atheist who feels deep down there's no point. Now, Goheleth describes that path not just as being intellectually a bit dim or uninformed. He calls it meaningless or pointless in chapter 1, verse 2. In chapter 2, verse 26, 
He tells us its character. He's labeled it meaningless, but the character of it in 2.26 is sinful. Chapter 2, verse 26. To the man who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness, but to the sinner. So this isn't just be, this, living this WYSIWYG life. It isn't just sort of, well, that's my philosophy of life, and that's how I see things. And, you know, it isn't just sort of um, a, an accident of education or of circumstance or whatever. It's sinful. You have to take positive steps to keep God out. In fact, if you've got some of the kind of wisdom that he's talking about, almost every day you will have to take positive steps to keep God out because the world just works so brilliantly well. So its label is meaningless. Its character is sinful. And its general approach to life is there is no big picture and there is no point. There's just stuff. Now, Ecclesiastes, Kaheleth, goes into this because um, he wants them to understand that it's fruitless going down that line. You better go down the other line. And the other line is to live under the one who made the sun. And the label for that is that there is real meaning and there is hope and there is purpose when you accept what what God is giving you as coming from him. And there is a label for this, and it is a label in 2.26 of pleasing God. 2.26, the man who pleases him. To the man who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. To the man who lives without God, meaningless under the sun stuff, there's wisdom. But it just yields misery. And in actual fact, the the disposition of this view is that God is the big picture. So here we are in our postmodern world. There is no big picture. And as Christians, we want to show the difference it makes in the way that we treat people, in the way that we do our work, in the way that we do our parenting, in the way that we do what it means to be sons and daughters of aging parents, in the way that we do stuff when we get together in church. We want everything the way we do our hobbies, the way the delight that we take in our cooking, uh, the delight that other people take in our cooking, the delight that we uh, take in mowing the lawn nicely or decorating a room well or whatever. We want all of that to be before God because he is the big picture. Which means that Ecclesiastes is incredibly relevant for us, isn't it? Because Ecclesiastes is almost like the gospel for the world in which we live nowadays. Because we are surrounded in the West. We are surrounded by people who are, if you like, on the wrong side of Kaheleth's experiment. What Kaheleth is saying ends up being meaningless is the way that so much of our Western world lives. So you end up trying to live for pleasure, and it's meaningless. It doesn't last. You need more and more to get the thrill again. It breaks you. 
you put all your energies into work and you build up your little empire and you die. And then what? So what's the point? Or you try and understand loads and loads and loads and you buy the Encyclopedia Britannica and you, you read it. And it gets you nowhere. Because you just get old and you start forgetting it all. So what do you do in that situation? If, you, if you're still going to keep God out of the picture, you just keep plowing more and more energy into things which you know are useless. Or you try and live in a way that just drowns out the voice that says they're useless without God. Your life is pointless. Or you do a Dawkins and you embrace it wholeheartedly and live a totally conflicted life because you actually don't want your own daughter to think like that. As he said. We go out into the world, you will go out into the world completely different. You can go out into the world full of Hokmah, Da'af, Binyah, Sekel, Yada. Choose which one. If you're a farmer, you'll need all five. And you're doing it all for God. And you're doing it all differently. Little example from the New Testament to, to make the point with which we close. When the apostles realized that they couldn't get on with doing what they were doing and there was a problem over the Jewish background and the Greek background, people getting food when everyone got together. Um, in Acts chapter 6, they thought, right, we need to appoint deacons, as they got called. In fact, deacon is only a title possibly once in the New Testament. Most of the time, it's just a description of activities. It means just to serve. So what do they look for? They didn't just look for people who were good at serving soup. Some people are naturally gifted in that department. Some people are just always going to spill it, you know. Um, they didn't just look for people who could wait on the tables and make sure that everybody... They didn't just look for people who could, you know, dish stuff out fairly and do the maths. They looked for people who were what? They looked for people who were full of the Spirit for serving food. Because you know what it's like to be served food by somebody who's just grumpily living for themselves and thinks life is pointless and somebody who is full of the Spirit. It's just a different experience. And it just gets done differently. And there's a different eye on things. Now you might think that you don't actually need to be spirit-filled to serve food. The Bible says if you're going to do it really well to the profit of God's people to the glory of God then you need it and that's the kind of thing that wisdom is about knowing how to serve soup really well because you love God and live your life before him as we go through Ecclesiastes and um, we will pick up little bits that give us insight and help as to how we should live our lives before God in this world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would give us true wisdom. 
We pray that you would help us to, to know how to live in this world that you have made before you. Forgive us, Lord, if uh, we do go through so much of a day and, and we do things and just normal practical things in life, just getting on with life, almost as if you weren't there, as if we just visited you in church on a Sunday. Help us, Lord, we pray, to be disciples in every part of our lives. Help us to live before you for the sake of your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.